We have the call to worship. Indeed, the whole world has the call to worship. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Bow our hearts and heads in sign of preparation for worship. Let us pray. So God above, we are thankful for Christ Jesus, that indeed we live and are here today because he lives, Lord, and he reigns over us and over this creation right now. And as we are gathered this morning to hear your word, to sing praises before you, God above, may your spirit be within us in a great measure, Lord, so that we can praise you, Lord, that we can become more holy, and that God above, we can follow your will for us. We pray these things as you taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, glory forever. We have the reading of Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. The oppression of the poor for the sighing of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearned. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. A lot in this psalm. I preached through it a few months ago. You see here, the main concern, of course, is that the godly are outnumbered. <laughs> the godly are the oppressed. They are the poor. They are the sighing of the needy in God's church. Not the sighing of just any random person in the world. People read it that way, unfortunately, but it's clearly those within the bosom of the church of Jesus Christ being oppressed either by those in the church, other parts of the church in the Old Testament period, uh, or by the enemies of the church outside of her. And we read then, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. We read that as a general proposition of all of the Word of God, all of the, all of the Bible, uh, and that's certainly the case. Uh, but here it immediately comes after the words of God that the oppressed and the needy will be set to safety that they yearn. That is a true word. That is purified. That is it's not a lie. Uh, God shall keep them, verse 7, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. Keeping of them of his words, of his promise to protect us, we who are his people, and oppressed, not by the world necessarily and always, but that certainly is the case, but more especially oppressed by sin and Satan. Right. We do sigh out to you and cry out to you, God, as those who struggle against their sins within them, Lord, and sins around us, God, within the church. Satan, Lord, who wishes to tear us down as a lion, seeking to whom he may devour, to bring down protection, truth. Help us, God, to persevere. Help us, Lord, to you on in the Christian life, love sustaining us. Thank you, Lord, and praise you for your protection of us, both body and soul, as we saw in Sunday school class and the history of the Christian church. Now that we are in the Reformation period, Lord, we see the wonderful ways in which you did preserve your people and, and raised up godly men, men of conviction, men of strength, men of renown, Lord God. Not renowned in the earthly sense, Lord, but men of renown in the word of God. We stood firm upon your truth and preached it, Lord, no matter what. May we be like them, Lord. May we be encouraged to follow their example to the extent that it was faithful to your word. Thank you, God, again, for protecting your church and the special providence you have towards your church, both body and soul, watching over us, Lord, even to this day. Bringing us here together, Lord, giving us the Bible to read, giving us a church in which we can fellowship, and be with the saints, God, and be encouraged and protected as well. Above all, for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who came to earth and 
upon him the body and soul of a man and die for us, God above. It is amazing to see and behold, Lord, how much love you have for us. Your love has any man give up his life. We ask that our hearts continue to be humbled and strengthened, Lord, to carry on in spite of our sins because of the blood of Christ Jesus covering our sins. We pray for our church, for her efforts in the foreign missions overseas, God, and Africa and Asia and Haiti and elsewhere, Lord. Oh, a small denomination. We have access to a lot of places, Lord, and churches that we've helped establish over the decades. Give us wisdom in that regards, Lord, not to be foolish with our funds and our monies, Lord, but to be wise and understanding of the times and seasons which we find ourselves in. To have godly men and their families, Lord, raise them up, God, for missionaries, to train them, give us insight to help them, Lord, and to discipline them if need be, God, that they would understand the people whom they are preaching, to raise up men in their own culture, would understand their ways of thinking, Lord, and establish local churches, God, we pray. A long line of godly churches in Africa and Asia and Haiti and elsewhere, Lord. For our efforts at the denominational level, Lord, but also at the Presbyterian level, and every Presbytery has uh, their own uh, missions board and outreach, God, and establishing churches both locally and, and abroad, as well as local churches who give funds directly, Lord. Ask and pray, God, that we continue to be blessed therein, both spiritually and financially, God. Wisdom on high. Lord Jesus, we pray for ourselves and our Presbyterian, our church, Lord, poor, rich, and satiated, Lord, in our midst, God, to know that we are one body of Christ, and that the poor are not inferior in the church of God, nor the rich superior in the church of God, but rather, Lord, we need one another, as you've given us varying sundry different gifts, God, even though uh, outwardly with respect to finances, Lord, the gifts are obviously different with respect to the poor and the rich. The poor could be rich in uh, a number of spiritual gifts, Lord, that you have given them, Lord, and the rich could be poor. We pray, God, that we would help one another as the rich and the poor, and that we would use our funds for those in need in our midst, God. The world may know that we love and love one another. We pray similarly, Lord, for the young and old alike, that we would, Lord, those with experience and age in life, and in the Bible especially, instruct the youth and the young among us, God, as we can, and that they would be humble, Lord, to hear the word of those who are their elders, God, and that they would lend their strength and their energy, God, uh, to the aid of the church. They who are young for different ages of life, Lord, experience, have different abilities to help one another. May we, Lord, be united as churches, as a church here and as a church of the Presbytery and as a denomination, God, with all the different uh, strengths and abilities that we have, Lord, and weaknesses to help one another, God, no matter our financial situation or age in life. We ask, God, that you continue to protect us in this nation, Lord, protect your church. And we ask, God, for godly laws and for uh, purging of wickedness in the entertainment industry, God, and for businesses that would uh, Lord, do the right thing and give their Christian employees the Lord's Day off, for example, Lord, and not use their monies to fund wickedness that would undermine our nation, and especially the church of God. Lord above, we ask God for your church and for your Christian's nation to be protected uh, from legal harassment or undermining us, Lord, and you strengthen us to be a, a godly witness, whatever job that we have in life, Lord. We would owe obedience to those over us, God, to the extent that we are able and it's faithful to your word. Lord, we pray in particular sins and violations of your law that we have dealt in our own lives throughout this week, or even publicly, God, that we repent of them. We be encouraged to live daily before your sight, understanding our weaknesses, God, and being ready to acknowledge our sins before you and before those against whom we sin. And may the world, Lord, see that we love Jesus Christ, that they would, Lord, submit to Christ, ask us more about him. We pray for these things, in your name alone, amen. God above, we are thankful for the many blessings you've given us. We ask God the tithes and offerings. Lord, we accept it through Christ Jesus for the good of the kingdom. In your name we pray.
Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This is one of those sections in the Bible that would be good to bookmark or put somewhere in your notes because it covers a lot of doctrinal truth. You don't have to look up a bunch of verses. There's a lot right here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us all wisdom in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, the praise of his glory. Let us. We ask God above that we be encouraged again and hope that you are for us, Lord, and that you have created salvation for us from first to last. That salvation is accomplished by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each three having uh, their own particular actions responsibilities that they have accomplished for us in redemption, as we see here in this great doxology of praise. Help us, God. Encourage us, we pray. In your name alone, amen. Non-Christian religions are not God-centered. They either leave man to his own devices, or if there is any help at all, it is still up to man in the last analysis with so-called gods in their system of thought. Men and women are called to mediate and deprive themselves, or uh, meditate and like, or help their neighbors and tithe and some are good works, others are bad works to be sure, but none of them are ways to be saved at all. Whatever it is, these works and exhortations to these works are claimed to get them to heaven. Nothing of the kind. Christianity is different. It is a unique religion itself. That uniqueness is found in its view of how someone gets saved. We don't get saved, how much work we do, a decision of our will as such by God Almighty. What is unique is that Christians view salvation as God-centered. It is not about saving man as such. That happens, to be sure, but that is not the final and ultimate goal. What is the chief end of man, brothers and sisters? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We read here in verse 6, the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Each ending a section of these verses that expresses and explains the work of each member of the Trinity. Three praises, three members of the Trinity. That is no accident. All are showing us through this wonderful doxology or a theology of praise is what that word means. That we are saved by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is itself already a unique doctrine among all the false religions of the world. And we are saved to the outermost from the beginning to the end by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is God-centered for His glory only is uniquely God-centered. And that glory is seen especially in the fact that from beginning to end, God is involved in saving His people, even to the giving of them of their faith. 
In Ephesians 1 shows, in glorious fashion, the God-centeredness of salvation that is accomplished by the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise be to his glorious name. And so the division comes naturally, three parts, verses 3 to 14, which you may recall is one sentence in the Greek. Try diagramming that. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is the topic of these verses, that salvation is by the Father's selection from eternity. This, this is a three-part section here. Salvation is part one, salvation is part two, and part three. So we have salvation is, and each point here, salvation is by the Father's selection from eternity. And the second point, by the saving of the Son. And the third point, by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's how these titles are connected, subtitles are connected to the main title. Saved, or salvation is, by the Father's selection from eternity past, verses 3 to 6. And we see he is the object here. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two names for one person of the Trinity. Often he is called God, but so is Christ and the Holy Spirit at times. The blessing in heavenly place is given to us by our Father above. It says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. The who there is the Father has blessed us in heavenly places in Christ. Opening verses are about Father and the blessings he has given us from heavenly places. That emphasizes the origin. It's not from this earth. Salvation does not start from here, brothers and sisters. It starts from there, from heaven. By heaven, of course, we don't mean the sky or the skies above or deep deepness of space. It's another way of talking about God. Abode of God in eternity. What does that look like? That God has no beginning and no end. What is eternity? We don't know. We call it heaven. Be near him and with him. So it emphasizes the origin. And every blessing, of course, is mentioned here. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Clearly, here, every means every. Or we could say all means all. Is there a blessing that we have in our salvation that does not come from God above? To ask the question is to answer it, isn't it? The answer is no. A thousand times no. Anything that we have for the saving of our soul, the fruits of the Spirit, justification, sanctification, glorification, adoption, these things are gifts from God above. They are given to us, His blessing and His love for us. Salvation is a spiritual blessing, and it came from God. It's not man that set out salvation. Adam and Eve hid from God. God sought them out. And yes, He had some stern words for them and words of judgment, but not eternal judgment, but rather the judgment of a father disciplining his children. And even in that discipline, there's a blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3. Seed of the woman crushing the head. Verse 4 Just as He chose us in Him. See, so if the He and you have the Him. Clearly, it's the Father choosing us in Christ that is in Him, that is to be saved through the instrumentality of Jesus Christ as a person for us and His work for us. But it's God who chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before anything was ever created in this universe. Selected by the Father. And naturally, I had to have my three S's or something along the lines. I've done three A's as well. Here is the S's. Selected by the Father, saved by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Selected by the Father before all of creation. It wasn't like yesterday God decided to save somebody, but from eternity past, it was part of his plan. It's God, Father, who has selected and saved his people, selected us in Christ, chosen us when we never cried out to him for being chosen at all, adopted as sons, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So he unpacks more clearly what the choosing in him 
is about and what it looks like before the foundation of the world. It is unto adoption as sons. That is a, a new position in our spiritual life. No longer sons of the devil, but the sons of God. Adoption is a blessing. It comes from God. The calling is a blessing. It comes from God. To be without blame before him in love, verse 4, is a blessing. It comes from God. All spiritual blessings are from God. He's the one who has collected us unto all these blessings and given it to us. The picture of adoption reinforces the choosing aspect of God. We see in verse 4, right? He chose us. Verse 5, he predestined us. What? To adoption. Adopted children don't choose their parents. Uh, maybe that happens in America now. We have, a, you know, Americans can be very weird. We like to do radical things, dangerous things often. Unless I checked, you, you still get to choose your kids. Adoption itself shows the election of God, the sovereign election of God, and how he saves whom he wills, because it's by grace alone, and no one deserves to be saved at all. Clearly the context here. It's by grace. It is a blessing from God, an undeserved blessing, a wonderful grace given to us, the good news of being saved by God above who has selected and chosen us from eternity past. That choosing, brothers and sisters, not because God looked down the corridors of time and said, I wonder what Loan would be doing. I wonder what Bob would be doing. Oh, look, he made the right choice. I will rubber stamp that choice and send him to heaven. Nothing in here about that, and it's quite the contrary as we get to some of the other verses in the next section. Lots of things are spoken here, brothers and sisters. We see that in the next section here. Not only are we selected by the Father from eternity past, predestined by His sovereign grace, we are saved by the Son's work, life, and His death for us. Verses 7 to 12. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure. When in the dispensation of time, verse 10, uh, he might gather together all one in Christ, which are in heaven and earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. So the emphasis there is in him, in him, Christ, in Christ, in what Christ has done for us. We have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to his grace, not by our merits, verse 7. We have obtained an inheritance, verse 11. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, that is our salvation, obviously, verse 9. Christ focused here in these verses. Redemption through his blood. This is often what we think of salvation. The word, we are saved, we think of what Christ has done for us, but we should not always narrow it down to that. Like this text shows, the Father's involved in our being saved. The Father chose us. He predestined us. He selected us from eternity past. And he selected us in Christ because we know he sent Christ. Christ is part of the Father's selection. They are both involved in our salvation from first to last. Jesus Christ, his blood, picture of his blood here is shorthand for all that he did to save us from his incarnation, his living and his dying, and his ascension into heaven in Acts 1 with a new body, as he triumphed over sin and death for his people. Blood, however, stands out the most as the most shocking aspect of it all, that he shed his blood for our salvation. He suffered and died to bring you to heaven, brothers and sisters, not deserve it. You are redeemed from the power of sin and Satan, is what is being said here. Your sins are forgiven. That's how we can be adopted. Our relationship with God has changed because of the Son. What moves God to redeem you? How good are you? Maybe you ask yourself. How long have I been a good church member? Perhaps you ask. Rather, he says, according to the riches, grace. That is how we are saved, brothers and sisters. Redemption we have through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the covering of all our violations and thought, word, and deed of his law is according to the riches of his grace and nothing else. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved blessing. In fact, we deserved the opposite, what they call a demerit, right? 
deserved hell and tribulation and trouble. But Father has selected us to something even better, and that's through the work of Christ Jesus. Praise be to his name. God did not consult you. He did not consult me. He, that's why it's important to know doctrine, saw in the opening sermons of my series here in the Basics of the Faith of the Trinity, three sermons on the Trinity, that God, one of his attributes is what? His independency. He does not need us, nor does he depend upon us, nor does he look down the corners of time and wonder, what should I do? I guess I'll do in reaction to whatever you do. That's what a lot of Christians teach, unfortunately, intentionally or not. Nothing of the kind. This text just blows that out of the water. It blew me out of the water. I know I read at least once as a young man. I didn't put all the pieces together until a little later. Kind of like the Egyptian or the Ethiopian, right? How can I understand unless someone teach me, he says. And Philip says, I'm here to teach you. We're here to open your eyes. He had the word of God, but he still needed a teacher. That's how God designed it ordinarily. Read in this passage, uh, thankful for the teachers we've had in the past, to open our eyes by the power of the Spirit. Uh, and we are given, as we see here, a redemption of inheritance. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance of what? He leaves it unsaid. Obviously, the inheritance of salvation from first to last. Uh, saving of our soul, the waking of our mind, the, the new passions for God, renewal of our will. Heaven. Promise of heaven is our inheritance as well. He says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. There it is again. There's that word again. Predestined to be determined beforehand. Before anything else had been decided. According to the purpose of him who works all things. According to whom? Purpose of God. Not your purpose. Not the purpose of man. Not the purpose of Satan. But of God Almighty. That we have this inheritance. That we have the shedding of Christ's blood. We have grace at all. Not our race, our social status, our wealth, our family connections, <clears throat> not even our baptism. So that, of course, is important in the Christian life. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All he had to say was God predestined, but he said more. Predestined according or on account of what? The purpose of him. Then he could have been done being predestined according to the purpose of him. Then he unpacks it further. Who works all things according to the counsel of his own will? Three different ways to say Nobody else moved God. He is independent with a capital I. Made that choice on his own. He had, in fact, every moral reason to leave us on our sins. Chose to save us instead. Praise be to his glorious name. Verse, he who trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Salvation, the selection of the Father, the saving through the Son is in him all things in Christ, adopted in Christ, blessed in Christ. These are words, phrases he uses in these verses. Intertwined. He says a lot of things. It's a very thick rope. The rope is made up of many strands overlapping and making a single unit here, this doxology. And of course, implied in verse 13, in whom you believe, that is Christ, the Son of God. Central to these verses, verses 7 12. All the blessings of, of salvation from the heavenly places that we read in verse 1 are given to us, not in a vacuum, but through the person and work of Jesus Christ and united by faith, as we read in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ, our sanctification, our justification, our adoption, our peace, our faith, our inheritance of heaven, our regeneration, our conversion, the fruits of the Spirit, all these blessings come from heaven above, from God selecting us, and from the Son saving us, brothers and sisters. And not what works that we have, and not even the feelings that we have, but simply by His work for us. Salvation, 
the Father's selection of his people from eternity. Salvation is the Son saving his people by the cross, all to the praise of his glorious grace. But that's not all. Paul continues on in verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Have the Spirit now being brought up. First the Father who selects, then the Son who saves, and now the Spirit who what? Who seals that salvation upon our conscience, on our lives. Another way of looking at it is he moves from the lofty eternal past of the Father's selection into the remote past of 2,000 years ago, the Son coming on earth in time and space and living and dying among us for his people to the here and now in which believe. Believe because the Spirit is here sealing us that belief. It's about God. It's about God saving his people. And so it finally comes home in these last few verses. Yeah, we're part of it. We're somewhere in here, but not the way we often perhaps were taught growing up. That we who first trusted, verse 12, should be to the praise of his glorious grace. That's our purpose in life. But 13 and 14 highlight, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel. You believed in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the word gospel means. In whom... Also, having believed, you were sealed. Those are two events happening at the same time. We know the origin of it, Holy Spirit. He seals us because he has given us the gift of faith, as we read in chapter 2 of Ephesians. By faith, it is not of ourselves, but a gift of God. Hearing and believing the word of truth, as we read in these verses, through reading or preaching, we don't know exactly, probably preaching, which is because the Bible wasn't finished at the time. After you heard the word of truth, not by reading necessarily, but more likely preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is emphasized over and over again in the New Testament and through the example of the apostles in the book of Acts. Heard it. So salvation, although the Father selects, the Son saves, and the Holy Spirit seals, is not done in a vacuum like lovely ball from heaven, you just wake up one day, but through the means that God has given to his church, the word of God in particular, and preaching of that word, we believe. Hear the word of truth. Embrace the word of truth, and the Spirit is there sealing the word of truth upon our hearts. It is according to the counsel of his will, yes, God predestines all things, yes, but he does that through means. When you eat, you don't just sit there and say, well, God predestined everything, I guess I just kind of sit there and let food come from the sky. No, God said what I predestined was you've got to get up out of your seat, you got to go to work, find food. And it works. Well, does it work? Because it's part of God's plan. Find food, you get to eat it. That works. Salvation, hear the good news and you believe. Got to hear the good news. Someone has to go forth, as we read elsewhere, although not emphasized in this text, preach and to bring the good news. God, in other words, does not believe for you. He does not trust for you. You have to trust. You have to believe. Yes, it's a gift of God, but you're still going to exercise it. It's part of his plan. The selection of the Father, the saving of the Son, are applied to us through the instrument of faith. This happens in time and space according to what happened before. As I was pointing out, the cause and effect and the general sense of, you got to hear something. You can't believe in what you don't know. And how do you know unless someone speaks it to you? It's exactly what Paul says in Romans, isn't it? There's a whole line of reasoning of why there must be preachers. God is a God of order and the saving of the souls. And it's not done willy-nilly, but through ordinary cause and effect. Loosely speaking, of course, God makes sure it happens. Because many people hear the word of God and reject it. The difference is what? They don't have the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit is accompanying and is there alongside and supporting and strengthening faith. He is the origin of the faith, as we read elsewhere in the Bible. And it's the Spirit who seals salvation upon us. The sealing begins faith, trusting in Jesus Christ and no other. 
the Spirit seals. Sealing is perhaps it has a number of ideas that overlap that are not mutually exclusive, so some commentators will emphasize one aspect over another, but clearly it's the idea here minimally of being established and set in stone. You can't lose it. You're authentic is another way of, of talking about it. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the seal. A seal is a seal, a seal of authenticity. It's the real deal, as we say, right? Recalling that we don't do much about seals anymore, but in paperwork back in the old days, you took a stamp on, and some hot wax on the envelope to keep the envelope shut. And you went, <laughs> seal on it to verify it is really from the king or really from the royalty or whoever it is. And that shows authenticity, but also shows uh, firmness and establishment. It's established. You can't break this thing. Whatever's in there is what the king's really going to say. It's going to come to pass. Those ideas are overlapping here. It is the main verb, uh, by the way, the sealing there, the hearing and believing are in relation to the work of the Holy Spirit. The hearing and believing, these are verbs all, all happening at the same time, uh, but the main idea is uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They are not independent but dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is upon our conscience, healing aspect, to make firm upon our conscience. This is really God Almighty. And to what end do we have the selection by the Father, the saving by the Son, and the sealing by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase? The Spirit is our down payment for heaven. Sometimes the word earnest is used. It's an older word. Like buying a house, you put down a large sum to show good faith that you will pay the rest of the house off. The Spirit is the earnest of our heavenly inheritance, bought for us by the blood of Christ Jesus. He is a down payment this side of heaven until Christ returns. And is he a partial down payment or the full down payment? The blood is. And the Spirit is given to us so that we can inherit the entirety of the salvation itself. The metaphor is a beautiful metaphor because we know God will never renege. Be sure of that by giving us the Spirit. The fact that you believe, the fact that you have conviction of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he saved you and he saves his people and he's given you his word because you have the Holy Spirit sealed upon your heart. And so, salvation, be here. From eternity past to time and space long ago to the here and now is what? God-centered, like I said at the beginning. What makes Christianity unique is the God-centered nature of its salvation, of its triune nature in particular. First to last, God had his hand in it because he is in charge of all of it. He made the whole thing of all our salvation to work for our good and for his glory. Because it is God-centered and triune, as we saw in each section here, three 6, 7, 12, 13, 14, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each doing their respective roles in the saving of your soul. That means each member is to be praised by the saints, just as Paul does in each section there in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. He says, the glory of his praise, praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, praise. His glorious name, magnify him all the more. This beautiful doxology of God Almighty is the sum of our salvation in doctrinal form here in these verses. Someone asks, what's salvation? Who saves me? What's this all about? Go right to these verses. It tells you the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved. Yes, you believe, but what is that? Is that highlighted as much? No, everything else is, it's kind of like, well, here it is, the uh, very end. Sure, you've got to believe, but even the believing itself is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He seals it upon you. Let us praise. Brothers and sisters, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for selecting, saving, and sealing our salvation, man and a man, his praise and his glorious grace. We praise you, God, for the saving of our soul, for we know of our sins. We know we disobey when we should obey. We know we mumble under our breath when we should submit. We know various and sundry sins, God, in our lives saved us anyways, who are undeserving. 
Help us, God, to be encouraged by this fact, God, uh, not to beat ourselves up more than necessary, but rather, Lord, stop and know that you have covered our sins, and that our salvation is not dependent upon us, Lord, and how perfect and holy we are, but all upon you. We praise and glorious name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all.